Hi and welcome to the Sunday Lunch Project Manager podcast for Sunday the 3rd of April 2022. This is your host Nigel Creaser and today we've got the second part of my interview with Eleanor Mosh, the construction coach. So this week we are again uh, supported by Tamplo. Um, Tamplo is a uh, online tool that uh, turns meetings into actions uh, and uh, has a number of different features. Uh, the bit I'm going to talk about today is around the project and task management and the follow-up. Uh, essentially, you have uh, a clear dashboard that shows you an overview of scheduled tasks, alert ta- for late tasks, an overview of team's progress. Saves you jumping into your Outlook and being di- diverted by that mor- morass of email that we get. Um, you can create your own daily plan in there, or you can, as a project manager, you may be assigning tasks to people. And those people can look at those, uh, have their own daily plans, adding in their own specific items they've got to do, as well as the things allocated to them. Uh, For the project management point of view, you get a dedicated dashboard with a list of tasks, knowing what people are working on on each project. And there's a load of collaboration capability in there. With the goal of getting no task left undone, uh, more uh, more efficiency and motivation, and clear action plans. So if you want to see what this is all about, jump along to tinyurl.com slash Nigel Creaser Templo. That's all one word, Nigel Creaser Templo. Have fun. So what's been going on with me? Um, I have been uh, scheduling and doing a whole bunch of I haven't been doing a whole bunch. I've had to push a couple off, but I recorded uh, an interview last night with um, uh, Elizabeth Harron, which will be coming in in the next few weeks, which is really good, really entertaining. It's the first background one I've done for a while, uh, finding out where how she got into project management. And for those who don't know, she runs a blog, called, a very successful blog called Rebel's Guide to Project Management, and is an author and speaker. So um, yeah, I'm sure you're going to enjoy that we uh we've also got uh, a couple of interviews got pushed back but i've got another couple well in fact i've got three interviews next week um uh, two interviews next week sorry and then a few the week after and, and over different weeks so um there's quite a good hopper at the moment a good number of items in the hopper which is really good really excited to bring those uh, interviewees to you um what else has been going on? I suppose the biggest bit of news is I've been asked to speak at a conference. Um, uh, it's a virtual one, unfortunately, because I would have loved to have taken a trip to Greece, which is the, it's part of the, the PM conference uh, in Greece, 17th annual PM conference. So I'm going to be chatting about productivity uh, to the guys there. Um, so I'll put a link in the, in the show notes to check it out I'm quite excited about that it's my first proper speaking gig um, uh, so uh, let's see how that goes um, I've also been looking at arranging some uh, interviews on podcasts which um, take a little bit longer to get on um, and that's really it those have been my main things going on in the news um, from a personal point of view uh, I don't know if I mentioned it last week probably didn't but that, sorry, last episode, I twinged my knee the other day while exercising, and 
Um, I haven't been able to walk very well for several, uh, for a couple of weeks. It's getting better now. I've got a scan tomorrow, so I'm hoping that. So that's a little bit. I think I'm feeling the effects of um, the, the, my not being able to move as much and not having as much freedom. Um, as I may have mentioned on here, I run every so often. Um, not being, I, my running had eased off, and now I couldn't run for two weeks, and it's just frustrating. Um, so I'm hoping to get back onto the road of recovery because in this day and age and in our roles as project managers, our health and our fitness is something we need to focus on. Um, it's, it, there is always a temptation to do that one more email, read that one more document, do that one more tweet to your plan. Uh, that means that you don't get out and go for a walk at lunchtime and things like that. So get on with it. Um, and uh, I think that's the only other thing I suppose to say is I know I'm having a, a, a face-to-face meeting next week with some colleagues of mine, which I'm really looking forward to. It's the first, I was working out, it's going to be my first proper business trip for, I think, probably three years, uh, maybe longer, um, which considering the traveling with business I've done over the years, that seems monumental gap uh, between the two, uh, working out what to do when going to a hotel and company card is working and you know the pen and all those sort of things it's going to be um it's going to be all nice new and exciting so looking forward to that um and i think that's all i've got to share this week um enjoy the second part of this interview with helena and uh, i'll speak to you later cheers right today's show we've got Eleanor mosher the construction coach Eleanor once stood on the periphery of her own career, feeling lost, invisible, and confused. She gave away power and agency over her trajectory, feeling dulled and limited. She then realized diminishing herself to fit in will never work, and standing out was a prerogative. She realized there was so much more possibility than where she was. She took back control of her own career uh, and maintained extreme ownership and unwavering self-belief in her vision and her purpose. And it led to her founding Australia's first construction coach business, The Construction Coach. And as a thought leader, she has a host uh, of a leading industry podcast, Constructing You, and the author of Constructing Your Career. Uh, She ties her distinctive thinking, uncommon insights, with over eight years' experience in the commercial construction industry, to generate transformative and exceptional results for her clients. Uh, she is featured on Yahoo Finance, uh, Australian National Construction Review, and over 30 podcasts discussing her career and business acumen. And she holds a Master of Construction Management and a Bachelor of Environments from the University of Melbourne. Welcome to the show, Eleanor. Thank you, Nigel. It's a pleasure and privilege to be on the other side of the microphone. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry about uh, uh, crippling some of that as I went through there, but it's, uh, that's my my way I do it usually most of the time you can tell when I'm it's reading the beer talking yeah yes yeah. so it's only I've, I've only I'm only that far down so I'm doing all right <laughs> and it's it's um it's not the best beer in the world yeah Banks is beer in Britain a, a, okay a Midlands not beer. rated uh, it's okay it's very cheap so that's that makes it good for me so it does um, its yeah. job yeah so uh it's a bit early for you for one of these I know uh, uh, obviously, you're joining me from the other side of the world, as we would describe each other, and uh, you would describe me on the other side of the world. Um, do you want to just lead in, tell uh, tell our listeners and, and viewers what uh, where you come from and a little bit about your background? Certainly. So 
Thank you very much for that introduction and what you described. This was a person who once actually hated their career in construction and was feeling so diminished and absolutely suffocated by the conservative nature of the industry and the linear and I guess boxed type careers which there are in construction but I knew that it couldn't stay that way and I remember one particular morning when I was working on site and I was standing at the site shed it was as gray of a Melbourne morning as you could get I think London or England has similar bland gray days and I looked out the window and it had bars on it and the bars were just reflective of the mental prison which I found myself in and I knew that this couldn't be it for my career and that was part of the founding thought which allowed me to take full agency over my person over my career to be the person that I am today I am a thought leader in the construction industry and I'm here to disrupt how people operate within the construction industry so I guide inspire and direct them to achieve higher remuneration faster progression and more recognition in their career because most construction professionals are working with outdated tools and practices and they're leaving so much opportunity on the table. We wouldn't do that for a construction project, but that is precisely what people are doing on the greatest project, which is themselves. On top of that, I am a podcast host, as you said, of Constructing You, and I interview exemplary leaders, industry titans, and young guns from property and construction. And my second book is coming out in just one week from now. So lots of things happening on this front. So brilliant. What's that new book called? It is called Leadership in Construction, and it is the principles of exemplary, excellent, and exceptional industry leadership, because it all starts and ends with leadership. And the construction industry and most industries are in an absolute pass at the moment. They are in shambles. And if we do not address the root cause of the problem, then we will keep on perpetuating the problem. But even if we have quote unquote leaders, they op- most are operating to such a low standard and they're actually missing out on the important points and again principles which are imperative to their own development as a triple e leader so leadership in construction is here to raise a standard of leadership because i certainly cannot complete the mission by myself yeah well that's true isn't it it's it's um there are i think that the construction industry is an area that i don't know i don't know it very well i see it from the outside um, I've never been inside it, anything to do with my project. The, the, the closest I've come to a construction project is building my decking at home. Uh, that's, that's about it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I know that a few people have interviewed me involved in constructing. In fact, I was talking to someone earlier today who's in the construction industry. Um, and I, and it, it overwhelms me on the really from when from start to finish looking at, a, especially on, on one of the larger constructions, even smaller constructions. That, that you've got such a vast number of people from a vast array of different organizations with very different skill levels and expectations across across the, the whole gamut, I suppose, with many projects as well. And it's, a, it's an area that I, I find it's um, my background of IT it's a very different environment that you're working in. as you say you're on site there you've got noise you've got 
physical stuff you can hit with a hammer and hit the health and safety elements and all that sort of stuff that really come to bear on it. Um, is, is it what, what I see with, with leadership in, 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 um, uh, in the IT arena is that and uh, a lot of project management leadership, we're given lots of training, lots of tooling. Um, we've got lots of certifications out there. We've got all that. And, and obviously with the, I assume with a lot of the, um, uh, with, with the construction side, there's a lot more sort of, if you've got a project manager, they expect them to have engineering kind of um, and construction qualifications, as well as the pure project management qualifications. And a lot of that teaches the, the skills and tools on how to do it. But is it that you see that it's that that layer on top of that with the leadership, that layer of the soft skills, that layer of um, what to do to actually engage with the teams and people in there? Is that is that where you see the this kind of gap that you talk about? Well, definitely. I mean, leadership is a function. So whether that is inhabited with someone at you know, at the bottom, someone who's just coming in, working in the industry, or if someone is at the top, then that leadership, you know, raising your standards is relevant to every single person, because of course it does start from the top. I mean, if the fish is rotten from its head, then that will infiltrate to yep. the body. So certainly the people at the top have a greater responsibility because people automatically will look to those people in times of say crisis or in times to ascertain what the organizational culture should be but that doesn't make others immune from displaying those leadership attributes that for stepping into that leadership function so yes of course it is tailored and targeted to those at that level but what that also says is that well i need x amount of experience to be a leader and the quality of anything that you do in your life is premised on the quality of your thoughts. Yeah. So when people say, I need X amount of experience, I need two decades or three decades in order to be a recognized leader in the industry, that is again, when they're leaving so much opportunity on the table. And I was one of those people. I thought that I had to climb the corporate ladder in order to be recognized as an industry leader. And yes, of course, there are certain parts of the industry which do recognize conventional, I've worked my way up the corporate ladder as leadership. I did a poll on LinkedIn a few weeks ago wondering if anyone shared the sentiment if the construction industry recognizes, let's say, entrepreneurial leaders or people who don't come from that I've worked up the corporate ladder and most do agree that construction still only sees leadership as one thing. And that doesn't create a conducive environment for growth for those coming up who don't fit into these tiny predetermined boxes as to what leadership looks like. And that is also part of the purpose of the book, which is to demonstrate that leadership is a function. Leadership is first and foremost all about who you are and the value and the impact that you want to make on the world. This doesn't have anything to do with titles or whether your organization bestows the function onto you. So that's one aspect to what you just mentioned. And the other point that I want to discuss is you said that in the IT industry, there's a significant amount of training and whatnot, and, and that's great. In construction, when and even at the managerial level, someone can come into industry they do come in based on, you know, they have a conventional technical degree. So they might have started the degree in 2019 by the time they finish, it's 2022. So it's already irrelevant yeah. and archaic because the industry changes so quickly 
and conventional education does majorly rely on rote and antiquated learning. Of course, some are doing fantastic things to change that. So the degree is a non-qualifier for construction career success. And then what happens is you have people who do display the right attributes, the great you know, technical ability, and they're the ones who move forward. And within five years, let's say in commercial construction, say even at the three to five year mark, you can find yourself in a managerial role. And all of a sudden the focus isn't so much on the technical, but on the people and processes. And you've not been and that's Yeah, and that's where there's a huge chasm. And that's where I found that there was such a chasm between the conventional training and development versus what is actually required to succeed in construction. No one is taught, not even the soft skills, not how to think. And that's why we have such an average level of management within the industry. And, you know, for example, I have a client and she just started working in industry and she gave me a call and said, listen, there's things happening at work. And I said, okay, tell me what's happening. And she's working under a manager who at first was really nice to her. And all of a sudden has to give her like permission to talk and cuts her off in meetings and doesn't want to help her on basic queries. You know, she has this expectation that she should know this, but this is a graduate, they're new to industry. They don't know a lot of things. And she asked me, is this normal? And I have to say, unfortunately, yes, because that middle band of management is so average because the training and development that goes in is also so technical based that people are getting away with poor standards and poor behavior because this is what the industry also reinforces. Yeah, I can. I, I, I think maybe in the IT industry that I, I've experienced, I think historically that that was there. I think that's changed a lot um, from my experience there were a lot more uh, and maybe it's the organization I mean the the, the focus on prepping people for management to and giving you that training on on those soft skills whilst it may not be all encompassing I think it is something that is um, it's is, is addressed in my organization mm-hmm. I think I think there's a recognition in the industry that it is key the the stuff with APM do the stuff that PMI do as uh, you, you know, the supplementary to the to the uh, the standards uh, in the the chapters and that there seems to be a lot of that around and I know they cover more than that but I it's kind of I'm seeing though that's where I'm seeing it from um, and I, and I think um, it's interesting because I listened to uh, a podcast by a couple of guys over in the states called Manager Tools and their focus is on people being managers and and um about being people transitioning in from the, that career role to the contributor to that manager and the fact that and, and they they talk about the same sort of thing is that most in most organizations don't set people up and don't train people for those roles they become at, at they reach the top of their technical hierarchy their technical wages and they go well they're good at it let's make them a manager of these lot that are good at it and Whilst that might, they might be brilliant. And and they say, say they, they might be brilliant at being able to do that, but they've not been trained at it. Like they have been highly trained in all their other skills. And therefore there's always a good chance that whilst they could be brilliant, they haven't got the tools to do it. Or also they might actually be the wrong thing for that person entirely to deal with other people. You know what I mean? <laughs> there are some people that get, just, that isn't their strong point and that isn't where they want to be. And they end up pushed into that role 
of leadership when they're not naturally want to be in that role they're not naturally want to take that role they want to be hands-on and contribute to it maybe they're not i don't know the analogy of being if you've got an incredibly talented design architect in an organization you can imagine that person loves creativity loves the actual coming up with ideas and and doing the all the bits you do as an architect but then if they're sat in an office sorting out 20 people who are out doing that and never getting to create you could imagine them hating that role and not being particularly good at it if it's not what they want to do it's like getting van gogh to manage loads of people painting instead of getting him to paint it's, i don't know i don't know if that's this kind of decent analogy or not certainly certainly is the case and you know we see that again time and time again that people may have brilliant technical aptitude and that is required not saying that that's not required but that doesn't make up a hundred percent of what is required to have career success and certainly not to mobilize people not to lead people and there is a quote by colin powell it's in my book as well i love it it's that managers can be leaders but leaders cannot be managers and whilst we have people at that managerial level who again are technically brilliant they're not displaying that ability to mobilize people they cannot connect with people they just see people as an input as you need to do this regardless of your personal or natural disposition and that is also where we see people that again are just shoved into roles and shoved into situations which they do not thrive in and this is the role of the leader. It's a chapter in my book as well. It's you need to set people up for success. Yeah. You know, I have a natural disposition to gravitate towards obviously leadership positions and being front facing and to put, you know, this is where I also truly struggled in corporate was I had to do highly technical roles. And that was an absolute mismatch because you're assuming that everyone has the same strength and we don't. We simply don't. And this, again, goes into that discourse of seeing a person for all of who they are and creating to the best of an organization's ability a role in which, look, they may not be able to do 100% of what they love, but they're better off doing 70% of what they love than 20%. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. this is, again, goes down to that vision of that leader, that vision of saying, well, you know, we need to set our people up for success because if you're getting someone who, as you said, is technically brilliant to all of a sudden lead and talk and inspire people, then they're going to falter. They're not going to be as best as they can. And yes, of course, training is available, but we always have to look at what is the individual's natural disposition in order to achieve what they achieve and what they are naturally good at as well that's how you get the most out of people sometimes that's the best the best is not always the most and vice versa yeah yeah this is where you know leadership in organizations again does need to start seeing individuals as not just you know their work personality but their whole person yeah i agree i agree you made the beginning of that you said that, that conversation then we were talking and you thought you the Colin Powell uh, quote, the difference between leadership and management. How do, how do you, how would, if someone said to you, what's the difference? Well, I'm saying to you, what's the difference between leadership and management? <laughs> what would you say is? That's a good question. Management is focusing on the immediate. It's focusing on the people, the processes, the, the immediate, you know, day-to-day -day sort of the operational front. 
they do need to have a certain level of look ahead, but the leader is the person who is the captain of the ship. They're the ones setting the direction. They're the ones saying that this is where we are going. They're the ones who ultimately make the big decisions that would steer the ship, whereas the manager is the one implementing all the processes and making sure that all systems do speak to each other so that the ship can run, so that the captain can make really good decisions as well. Okay, let's see. So it's kind of the, I'm going to a, a geeky, so sort of the number one and the the captain of the, uh, the, the um, uh, enterprise. Uh, so you've got John, John Luke Picard, who's the strategic guy, and you've got number one who's making sure it's going on, or, or, or the, like the CEO and the COO kind of setups that you have in uh, large corporations as well. I suppose it's that yeah. similar thing: is that executing on the vision as well as, and then other people inspiring the people to do it. But I suppose even at those yeah. level, all of those levels, you've got to be someone who can organise the people. And it, I suppose, it set you set as you go through the organisation. You're going to set that leadership. You've all, as you said before, all of you have got to, we've all got to take a leadership role, haven't we? Um, if we're going right. to, if we're going to help people, because if you take only a management role, there's a limit to how far that takes, the, that helps the people in your organisation. That's right. So, you know, this isn't to say that managers are not important. They are extremely important in an organisation, in any business. They can make or break organisations all the same. But even in that managerial function, so let's say they need to check on, you know, someone doing a task and that person gets the task just for simplicity wrong. Then in order for that manager to display that leadership function, then they would be taking extreme ownership and saying, well, I didn't explain the task well to this person, so they couldn't have done it properly. And I also didn't give them the right tools. I didn't give them the right knowledge. Yeah. So yeah. the responsibility is on me to make sure that this person who needs to undertake X function within the project, that they can do that. So even as a manager, manager by role, and function, you are displaying leadership attributes, leadership characteristics. So it's you're not immune from that at that level. Whereas subpar management, which is then also subpar leadership, will say, well, you made a mistake, so I'm going to beat you with a stick over it, and you should have known better. And I want you to do it like I told you to do it. Yeah. So yeah, and I think that 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 kind of really good way of describing it. I felt and I kind of I get that is the thing is you need to look there and it's I think something I think I've thought of I've said to other people before is with with a if project management for me can be quite a lonely place at times because uh, if you, the way I operate anyway is if if something goes wrong it's my fault so I'm talking to my management it's like well yeah it's me yeah I'm I, in fact I got I got accused many years ago of of shielding my because I've generally run teams of project managers, not been, been running portfolios of the four, five, six project managers. And and I got accused by one of our leaders when I was saying, well, yeah, it's my fault. I need to do it. And so stop, stop, Shad, stop standing in front. They need to sort it themselves. And it's kind of like what well, it's naturally, it's obviously if I haven't enabled them, if I haven't coached, if they've not done it right, they've not been coached right by me, they've not been enabled. There's something I haven't done to get the best out of them. Or I haven't said, I don't think this is the right role for you. Uh, it's it's yeah. it's it's down to me to to manage it if that's what I'm being told. Um, but then the flip side of that is whenever there's something that's really successful in the organisation, 
it's those guys that are doing it and you step to the side and it's they get you, you make sure they get the recognition because those are the people who are doing the work there they've got their hands on and in that in that manager pro- leadership role you can feel quite lonely there um, and I think if if you end up behaving in that role where you, you're using the stick it will be even lonelier because you know what I mean it's getting you, you you're you're not even welcome to be part of the team that you're leading mm-hmm. then um uh, because you're just on the outside screaming at people to do stuff and it's that it's difficult i find to and i see people moving in an organization i've even had people talking about the fact that um they wanted to move into project management from another technical area because they didn't like dealing with people which was quite funny um at the time it's kind of like yeah you don't realize what, what that it is all about the people and it's it's about if it Without the people, nothing happens. With the processes, they're irrelevant. With the tooling, with the skills, it's irrelevant. If you haven't got the people, and you haven't got the people uh, leadership skills and that, that engagement with the teams, uh, it, it yeah, it just um, that that role can be lonely, but also really rewarding when you watch your team succeed. And I think that's the thing is if you can get the pleasure from your team succeeding and you being part of helping them succeed that's where you can start leading people. It, it, it's that, um, I can't remember what it, there was a book or a speech made by someone about the fact that uh, it, it's servant leadership, isn't it? It's that kind of kind of role. Is if, if you're um, helping your team get the best, get the best out of themselves rather than you get the best out of them. And it's a subtle, subtle words difference, but it does, it does make a big difference because you, it's and it's character based as well a little bit isn't it certainly you know good points mentioned there and i'll pick up on two is one this is where we see people who truly love the leadership function or just want the recognition and the accolades and the shiny sexy things that come with leadership so those who love the leadership function yes they will enable their team if their team does well they know that they do really well but they're not putting themselves out saying it was i did it I, it was always me, of course, as leaders, we have a large part, but we also know the importance of giving recognition where recognition is due. And people who do this, and it's not by reducing themselves, saying, no, you know, I didn't do anything, or it's not, it's accepting that, you know, that recognition. But also when you give that recognition to others, it is a reflection of the confidence of your own leader that you're not someone who is intimidated or threatened because someone else is doing better than you they actually thrive off that when they can see that their team is quote unquote thriving as well and that is a marker of a confident leader and that is something that is truly so rare to see and what you mentioned about leadership being lonely yes it is very lonely and the further that you decide to go the more lonelier than it gets but there is a difference between being alone and feeling lonely and when it comes down to that well people need to understand that you can't lead from the same consciousness and the same level that everyone else is on then they won't see you as a leader they might see you as their friend or their manager and that's not the position in which you can create the greatest influence and impact so naturally as you do gravitate towards that leadership position and also what happens because of the intense amount of development that happens in order for you to get to that 
revered leadership position, you do naturally disconnect from a lot of people. People start seeing you in a different light. And that's why when we get to that level, there aren't many people who truly understand what it would be like. And that's why we're leaders, because we are not part of the herd. We don't have herd mentality. We stand alone. We are, you know, the people who are the tip of the spear. We go in first. And in order to do that, yes, of course, it does take immense, you know, courage and, of course, character to do that. And most people won't do it. And the challenges that we experience are different to, of course, the challenges that all the followers experience. So inherently, the pool of people who can relate to you, who also want to come on the journey and bring the fuel, it is it is reduced. Yeah. So that's why it's so important that as a leader, we have people in our corner. We don't need many people, whether that's a significant other, even more importantly, a mentor or a coach or someone who can always provide that, you know, that sounding board and and that direction is imperative because there is nothing to say that whilst leadership is lonely that you have to go about it alone. Yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed the second part of that interview with Eleanor. Um, and uh, just so you know, her new book um, is uh, available and uh, I believe is a bestseller these days. So uh, jump along into the show notes and grab a copy of it. Um, that's pretty much it from me. Uh, as I asked in the intro, would be delighted if you guys can share this, see if we can get a bit more traction and a few more people listening so um yeah uh if you do that i'd be forever grateful but uh, yeah thank you very much look after yourself if you enjoyed the show um it would be brilliant if you uh would like to support it a uh, number of ways you can do that number one is sharing it with your friends and colleagues. Uh, the more people who hear about it, the more people uh, get to uh, get the experience from my fantastic guests. If you want to go a bit more than that, you can jump onto wherever you listen to this and give me a review. Five stars would be lovely. Uh, and if you want to look at the, throwing some cash towards me, there are a number of ways you can do that. You can pop along to the Patreon slash Sunday Lunch PM uh, there, or you could grab one of the books that I've published over the years and uh, obviously get a little bit of cash from those on the website under the shop there under sorry yeah under the shop I've got links to all of my guests previous guests books and Andy and Joel's is on there and if you jump along to there you can uh, buy a copy of their books and I get a little kickback from that too and obviously with our new headline sponsor of Tamplo popping along, signing up, and if you end up using it, I will get a kickback there as well. So, uh, finally, obviously, as I say every time, uh, the most important thing, though, is come back next time. I'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Remember, if you want better meetings and better task follow-up, Tamplo's where to get it. Don't forget your one-month trial, tinyurl.com slash nigelcreasertamplo. That's N-I-G-E-L-C-R-E-A-S-E-R, Tamplo.
Well, it's goodbye from me, Nigel Creaser, and it's goodbye from him, the Sunday Lunch PM. Goodbye. <laughs>